Romans chapter 5. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. If you would, stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word tonight. Romans chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse number 1. This is God's word to his people. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is God's word to his people, and we thank him for uh, preserving it for us. Let's go ahead and pray once more this evening. We'll launch into our study together. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for uh, these students and their faithfulness to uh, gather and, and worship you through prayer, through singing of songs, and now through the preaching of your word. And we pray that our time together this evening would be profitable. But Father, we also know tonight, standing in here, uh, we're very much aware that we're not the only people in the city of Springfield who uh, are preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And we don't want to be uh, greedy or arrogant and think that we're the only ones who are capable of doing that. And so we do think of our friends across town, think of Ridgecrest Baptist Church tonight and Pastor Jeremy Munez. And we pray that you would enlarge uh, their tribe, their increase, their influence uh, for the sake of the gospel. That they would see people uh, around the city come to know you just like our heart's desire is the same. So that one day when we are united in heaven together, we'll be able to celebrate uh, the work that you've done in our city, in our state, in our world, and even our globe uh, for the cause of the gospel. We do think again tonight of the country of Qatar, and we do pray that you would soften hearts even now uh, for our missionaries who might be working there and others who are seeking to see a gospel advance take place. So be with us now as we study your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to believe and be corrected. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. No one who is drowning cares about the color of the life preserver. No one who is drowning cares what color the life preserver is. No one who is about to die, sinking under a cacophony of water, says, no, I want the red preserver, not the white preserver. If they do, more often than not, probably the rescue team's like, fine, we'll go get the Red one instead of the white one, and see what happens. Uh, the year was 2012. Uh, Jess and I had just gotten married and headed on our honeymoon to uh, wonderful Disney World. And while we were there, uh, spent some time at one of the water parks there on a ride called Steamboat Springs. Basically, this ride is a ride where you hop in, and uh, six of you in a rather large uh, go down a big water slide and it's wonderful it's awesome and it's just a fun time now we were just married and so we were there by ourselves and we got put in uh with uh just a random family uh a mom a dad and a small child and off we went and as we were going down this slide uh, we look in front of us and there is a large family uh six total people in this raft and they have two younger sons, probably eight and ten. And one of the sons decides he's going to be hilarious and stand up and pretend like he's surfing, which is entertaining to the people in the slide and even we who are back watching it take place. 
And it was entertaining until the inner tube spun around and he continued to surf but didn't see where they were going. And the inner tube went up on the side of the hill, up on the side of the uh, slide, and he tumbled out of the ride. And at first, this is hilarious because now you're a small 10-year-old boy on a ginormous water slide until you realize that a large inner tube with four grown adults and one child is gaining on you. And the laughter and the joy and the, I can't believe what I was doing, I'm so cool, on that little boy's face turned to instant panic as we got closer and closer. And all he cared about was that myself and the other dad who was riding in that raft, positioned ourselves to catch him and pull him into our inflatable. And then we went down the rest of the ride to a relieved mom and dad who were standing there waiting, who said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I thought, this kid is going to get the tongue lashing of his life. And I think they waited until they thought we were out of earshot. And then <laughs> she let him have it. And I'm thinking to myself in that moment, you're the one who was laughing while he was standing up, and you're the parent. But in that moment, that little boy did not care how he got rescued. He didn't care how anything took place. He didn't care who I was. He didn't care who the other dad was, at that particular moment, nothing about us mattered. It's only until later that you begin to sit and reflect and think, what if we hadn't been paying attention? What if we hadn't caught him? What if we had gone over top of him and pinned him to the slide and carried him down the rest of the way? And that's a great way to start off your marriage. How was your honeymoon? It was wonderful. Where'd you go? Disney World. What happened? It was Great, up until the third day when we killed an eight-year-old boy on a water slide. I mean, that's just not a real crowd pleaser to come home to. It's not until after you've been rescued and had some time to process what's happened that you begin to understand really the beauty of being rescued. No one in the moment cares really about being picked up from the deserted island or uh, the lost little boy or girl. I remember another time in the late 90s, uh, a, a little boy named Corey Botts, I love getting to tell stories about my family because they're not here, um, was lost for about all of two minutes in uh, Animal Kingdom at Disney World. All of the exciting things that have happened to me in my life have happened to Disney World, so I just probably need to go back there and hang out some more. But he was lost, he was about six years old, for all of about two minutes. And the panic mode that happens in those moments, no one cares how we get the child back, all they care about is getting them back. But then once you step away and you begin to put the pieces together about how God is providing and caring for, you begin to recognize and see the beauty in being rescued. And that's what the Apostle Paul does in chapter 5. See, Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are called probably the four greatest chapters on spiritual growth. They're, they're called a sanctification section in the book of Romans. And here, probably more clearly than anywhere in the New Testament, there is a plan, a strategy laid out for you in how you can grow 
in the Lord. But the, the first thing that has to happen is in chapter five, it kind of centers around this idea of being rescued, what you've been rescued from, what you've been rescued to. But in order for us to really appreciate everything that we're going to talk about moving forward from here, we have to first stop and recognize the beauty of being rescued. And so a couple ways that we're going to see that tonight, and we're going to kind of move our way through this text, and you're going to see how this comes together. But the first thing that you see when you recognize the beauty of being rescued is the way of rescue, the way of rescue. Paul opens these uh, verses here in chapter 5. It's kind of a hinge point, if you will. Every time you get to the word therefore in your Bible, a cliche that you can ask yourself is why, why or what is it there for? What is it hinging? It's a hinge word. It's not a conjunction, but it's moving the argument along and it's pulling us into a new area. And so Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Here in this opening phrase, the, the, the author of Romans, Paul, gives us the crux of all that has come before us. So if you find yourself going, wait a minute, time out. I wasn't here. This is not fair. They've already done one through four. I feel like I'm coming in on the middle part of this. this te- I, and I don't want to, I mean, I barely tolerate preaching, you listening to you preach in person. I'm not going to go back and listen to all these weeks of sermons. It's great because Paul recognizes that you, much like Baptists in the first century, would get lost in the middle of the argument and he would have to return and, and make the point again. And so what he does here in this hinge phrase is remind them of what he has talked to up to this point in chapters 1 through 4. Since we have been justified by faith, the way to be rescued tonight, you might be sitting here going, I don't even know why I need to be rescued. Well, I would just tell you, Block out September and just say, you know what? I don't know why I need to be rescued, but just the fact that this guy thinks I need to be rescued is compelling enough for me to come and try and figure out why the Bible suggests that I need to be rescued. But the way that you're rescued, the way that this happens, the way that you're rescued from who you are before Christ to who you will be in Christ is by being justified by faith alone. If one is really, and this one might be you, if you are really dead in your trespasses and sin, think Ephesians chapter 2, then to be declared righteous is a must. And you can't declare yourself righteous. You know, you're not Michael Scott. You can't just walk out into the lobby of the office and just yell, I declare bankruptcy. Only to Oscar remind him, that's not exactly how it works. No, no, no. I declared it it's done think some christians think i've walked into a church and i declare myself i am a christian i'm here i'm worshiping i'm praying along but that's not sufficient you cannot justify yourself for you note takers think of romans 3:28 for we hold this is going earlier in the argument for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In other words, you're justified by faith, not by your own works. Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, says this. Yet, This is Galatians 2, 16 and following. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. The Apostle Paul is like your 
teacher in high school who you just felt was like on a constant loop repeat. It's like, we got it. And Paul's like, no, you don't have it. Let me say it one more time for the people in the back. You're not justified by works. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Doesn't matter how good of a Christian you are, how wonderful you are, how good looking you are, how you say the right things, right? You know the Christian lingo. You know all the right words. You know all the right phases. You can fake it till you make it. The only problem with that is God sees internally what man cannot see. Sees your heart. See, here's the great and terrifying thing at the same time. You can come to college ministry. You can come to Crossway your entire life. And you can have every pastor sword. You can have me fooled. I can think, man, just put that person in a position of leadership. They know the Bible. They seem to love people. They seem to care about people. They're wonderful. I just think, man, if I was not the college pastor, maybe they should be the college pastor. I mean, I need my job, but they could maybe do some more preaching and teaching or lead a girl's Bible study if they're a girl because they can't be an elder. But, man, they, that person is a rock star. Some of you think you've got us fooled, and you've got us fooled in this room. Joke's on us. you got us fooled. But here's the issue, beloved. You cannot fool an almighty, righteous, and holy God into thinking that you are justified. So, go to the biblical argument john 5 24 truly truly jesus says i say to you whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life you want to be rescued from death to life you have to be justified later in the later verse paul talks about things that are inherited by believers in, in verse 2 he says through him we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You can have that inheritance precisely because you have been justified by faith. We cannot truly, I, I, I just want to make sure we pause and understand. We cannot truly appreciate the act of being rescued until we understand exactly how it happened. I hear people sometimes, they'll, they'll complain to me about other ministry areas. No one ever complains directly to me about my area. They go to other people, and then I catch other people's complaints about other areas. And then I'm like, hey, let's go talk to these people. But I've heard this complaint in years of doing ministry, and some of our small group leaders have, and, and some of our adult leaders have, and some of our pastors. I just don't understand why you guys keep preaching on this idea of the gospel and being justified by faith alone. I don't understand why we seem to not ever be able to move along. Beloved, you might be able to graduate from kindergarten. It's such a sweet day. You, there you go in your little cap and gown. And then eighth grade graduation happens when you're decidedly more awkward than you were at your kindergarten graduation. And then you believe yourself to be cool and you graduate from high school. And then you go deeply in debt and graduate from college. And you realize, I'm not cool, I'm still awkward, and we really haven't gotten any brighter than when we started this enterprise. <laughs> and you graduate with other degrees, and on and on it goes, unless you're trapped like Jess is to me, to somebody who perpetually just finds themselves going to class. 
I'm always afraid that if I graduate from some degree somewhere and don't have another one to go to, I'll actually have to start acting like an adult, and that terrifies me. But here's the deal. You think right now, just got to graduate from college, get a job, life will be great. Beloved, you may graduate from different seasons and stages of life, but you never graduate from the gospel. You are never mature enough. Conrad Mboyewe gets credit for that, by the way, for that little statement. You never graduate for, from the gospel. Because if you're not careful, you begin to think, oh, I'm past this. I'm past this way of being rescued. So tonight, let me ask you this. Have you trusted in Christ by faith alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Because we can do a rescued series. We can talk about these things. But until you recognize that this is your greatest need, not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not a new, new job, new apartment, new dog, new whatever, you know, new year, new, new me. You're like looking forward to 2021. I think we all are at this point. We're like new, new year, new world. Like thinking of in those terms. But th- your greatest need tonight is to be rescued from your sinfulness. And that can only happen by faith alone in Christ alone. And then for those of us who are Christians, I, I just keep returning to this theme. Have you thanked God for his means of rescuing you from being dead in trespasses and sins? You were dead. You're not able to save yourselves. And here comes Christ and he rescues you and redeems you and breathes life into a dead corpse. And we're like, we rejoice in the glory of God. We got no. And I get let me you don't have to lay and roll around in the aisle and have some sort of unbiblical filling of the Holy Spirit apart from the, your original conversion to, to, to be worshipful. But I am going to say this, if, if, if you're not moved on the needle when, we, when we're praising and singing to God, there's a pretty good indication that you've begun to take your salvation for granted. Which leads us to this point. Not only do we see first the way of rescue, but then we're also introduced and reminded again of who the rescuer is. Paul points us once again, I love Paul, because Paul's like, You know, I'm really actually super smart, super intelligent. I have all these qualifications to boast in myself, but I I can't because all of those qualifications, all of that resume, all of that curriculum vitae is not enough to make me impressive in your eyes. You need to get your eyes off of me and onto Christ. And so this dude who writes 13 books of the New Testament constantly tells you inside of the scriptures, follow me but only in as much as I'm following Christ. In other words, get your eyes off of me and onto Christ. If you're going to follow me, follow me to the point of following Christ. I love Paul. Because the guy could have boasted. You think about, if Paul were a, a 21st century Christian, his temptation would be tweeting about his blog posts, talking about his accomplishments, the books that he's written, how amazing of a Johnny Super Christian he is. But but Paul humbly is just, hey, I wrote this, but hopefully this edifies you in Christ. Not look at me. I'm not coming to Christ. It's all of Christ. It's all of him. And that's what he does in these verses. Look at what he says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the analogy of rescuing, so when we talk about rescuing, needs to be placed in its proper context and place tonight. Jesus Christ saves us and rescues us, but he does it from more than uncomfortable lives or bad situations. This is the false bill of goods of the prosperity gospel. This idea that if you just come to Christ, your life will be easier. Your life will be sweeter. You won't have difficulty. You won't have hardship. Believe in Christ, and you will have everything that you've ever wanted. You want a new car? Come to Christ. Because not only does He provide you a new car, He provides you a Porsche weekend. You want a home? Christ doesn't provide you with a, with a simpleton ranch. What's a mansion? So you got these people who are buying into being a Christ follower because they think they need to be rescued from their mediocre status lives. That is not who Jesus is. That is the opposite of the gospel. You do not need to be rescued from your first century, first world problems. You do not need to be rescued from not having a second computer or a second car. Some of you are like, I'll just take a one car that is kind of nice. In preparing for the sermon series that is coming in October, I've begun to read Ross Douthat's new book, The Decadent Society, which basically is a critique of you and your parents and your parents' parents. It's basically talking about how living in the western United States, we are part of the most spoiled society and culture that even the poorest of the poor are still rich by worldly standards that by living even below the poverty line in the united states you technically in the eyes of the world the global world are still incredibly wealthy it's an interesting read but what it reminded me of is man look at where and and, Doubt that he's not a Christian. He's a New York Times columnist. Probably the furthest thing from a Christ follower. Maybe not. But what's interesting about it, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, look at this particular text tonight, and we read this in Western American eyes. You'll hear pastors preach this text as, you want a life of ease? You want a life of comfort? You want a life of prosperity? Come to Jesus. This whole chapter is going to show you how Jesus rescues you not only from that way of thinking, but redeeming the difficult things that will come. That's next week. So that's a little bit of a preview. That's all free. I'm not going to charge you for that on the way out tonight. You don't need to be rescued from a bad situation or for, from uncomfortable lives or making more money or bad situations. Jesus is the grand rescuer who takes you from being dead and makes you alive in him. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Listen to where you were. Christian tonight, you want to be reminded of where you were? You need to go back to your old town and your old home and drive through your old neighborhood and Look at the street signs and be reminded. Here, Paul reminds you where you used to live. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is what you were doing. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
That's where you lived. That was your home. But Christ has redeemed you, and he's rescued you, and he's breathed new life into you. And now you know him and are in him. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul reminds his readers of an important component in their rescuing. He shows them that they must be saved by faith alone, but then he reminds them that faith alone must have an object, and that object must be and is required to be Christ. You have faith in things. It's not enough to have this mere morphous idea of faith of, yeah, there's a higher being and a higher power, and I kind of believe that God is kind of this big dude in the sky who's kind of ordering the events of the world around us. No. True gospel salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. Your faith must have an object. And you need to be reminded, and I need to be reminded, that we need someone to rescue us that's not like us. We're like, Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus is my friend, Jesus is a good, cool dude, he's a great moral teacher, and I love being around him. The problem with that line of thinking is it makes Jesus seem like he's like us, and he's nothing like us. The, 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 the thing that makes him like us is that he comes to earth, takes on the form of a servant, and is made in the likeness of men. And that is where the similarities begin to fade away. He's tempted like us. But he doesn't sin. He's not like us. He experiences pain and difficulty, but he responds in godly and God-exalting ways, not like us. When bad things happen, he doesn't blame God, but presses into God as his all-sufficient supply as he continues to live out this life. We need someone to rescue us who's not like us. Jesus Christ is the access to all that our heart longs for in restoring our relationship with God. You can sum up the Bible this way. Genesis 1, God creates the world in perfect, and it, and it lays in perfect existence. And we read in Genesis 1 and 2 how that perfect world exists. And then in Genesis chapter 3, some explicit commands are given to Adam and Eve, and they don't follow those commands. And the relationship that they enjoyed, a perfect harmonious relationship with God is broken. And from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation 22, the entire Bible is preaching and proclaiming a message of how God is restoring his relationship with all of humanity. We need Jesus because there is something in our heart that longs for a right relationship with God. We suppress it, Romans 1 tells us, but it's still there. In spite of everything we do to push it away, so I'd ask you again, have you been rescued by the one who's not like you and made you new? Have you placed your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? And then, man, maybe tonight we just all need to just get up and, and praise and thank God for rescuing us and saving us and pulling us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light light and life and then finally tonight in in 
Romans 5, 1 and 2, we see the results of rescue. Through him, verse 2, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul also tells us what happens as a result of Christ rescuing sinners. The main result, the main result tonight is that we have peace with God. And this is not a ritual peace. This is not world peace. This is not ease or tranquility or our own well-being. That's not the kind of peace that Paul is speaking of here. The peace that Paul speaks of is that we've been restored to God. We've been restored. What was broken is made right. Romans 10, 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news or preach the gospel of peace. You want to help your friends at school? You want to help your coworkers? You want to help the people around you on an everyday basis? You want to actually genuinely love them, care for them, desire their best? Take the gospel of peace to them. I know they're frustrating. This is just a general reminder that you are frustrating. I love you enough in the Lord to tell you that you're frustrating. Some of you are like, we've barely even begun to get to know one another. How can you tell me that I'm frustrating? You're all frustrating. All of humanity is frustrating. Look at the thundering children of Israel. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. I was reading this this week. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. Getting some, getting the law. They're not supposed to worship any other gods, right? That's we're, We just got rescued. We walked through this ginormous sea on dry land, walls of water around us. Moses is gone for too long. And what do the people do? Hey, Aaron, build us a god that we can worship. Seriously? Later in the book of Exodus, we're hungry. We're thirsty. You bring us out here in the desert to kill us? Do you not remember Egypt? You read through the Old Testament, and you're just like, why are you guys idiots? You get to the New Testament, you've got the disciples, and it's the same thing all over again. Why are you guys dumb? It's only until we realize that those are great pictures of who we are. We like to, we're like, I'm the, the person of high honor and high esteem. I, I would have gotten it. If I would have been with the disciples instead of Peter being like, Jesus, you don't need to die. I would have been pulling out the flannel graph and be like, here's the diagram. Other disciples, 11 other disciples. See, this is what's going to happen. I'm with you, Jesus. I'll be right there. Let me teach these people. You've got a lot of stuff to do. That You think you'd be that guy or that girl. I can assure you that you wouldn't. Romans 15, 33. I love the way that Paul ends the book of Romans. He say, it says, may the God of peace be with you all. It's a fitting way to close a book about the need to be restored to God. Having gospel peace, not just ease and tranquility. What our rescuing should do, and I'll close with this. What our rescuing should do is cause us to rejoice in the glory of God. The glory of the fact that God does not leave us alone. The glory of him sending his only begotten son 
to be the only and all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. The glory that the gospel is offered freely to all mankind. The glory of salvation made available and the grace in which we stand. The glory that he isn't finished with us yet and isn't going to stop transforming us until we're made in the image of Christ. Praise God he's not done with us. Praise God that he doesn't just rescue us once and is like, now sit there and don't move. Praise God he's not like bad parents. We're like, I told you I'm not rescuing you again. He's not finished with us. This is the great launching point of Romans 5. The glory that he isn't finished with us and isn't going to stop transforming us into the image of Christ. And we can glory and praise and worship, hopefully, for all of eternity and the days to come, praying and longing, God, please, whatever I do, please be gracious to me. Pour out your grace on me. Please don't be finished with me. Please keep working on me. And thank you for rescuing me. Let's pray together.